Welcome to Location Matters, the podcast from NGIS, covering the world of mapping and location technology. Welcome to episode 25 of Location Matters. I'm Sarah Butler, and I'm pleased to be joined today by the Vice-Chancellor of the University of Western Australia, Professor Dawn Freshwater, and Paul Farrell, proud UWA alumni and Managing Director of NGIS. Today we're going to be speaking about vast amounts of data available here in Western Australia, how location intelligence can be applied to data, and what these insights could mean for the future. Dawn, I had the pleasure of hearing you speak at an event here in Perth about the future of work, which looked at the impact of technology on the Western Australian workforce. In your speech, you focused on the opportunities for WA and made reference to how data-rich we are. What kind of data were you referring to? Well, thank you, Sarah. I might just start by saying that um, in terms of the future, of course, the future is already upon us, but we often think of ourselves in that as passive recipients of the future. We are both the inventors of the future and invented by it. And in the um, sort of middle of that uh, is a significant opportunity for Western Australia in the context of what is I think, often seen as our strength. So, for example, mining, technological innovations, the way in which we think about remote, remote operations. FLNG is one example, looking at the way in which we are able to take advantage of radio quiet skies and collect data in that way. To think about that as building on the strengths of the state, rather than thinking about that as a way of inventing the future, not only for the state and for the nation, but actually to really have an impact on the global future in terms of data, technology, and as you referred to, digital footprint. From our point of view, and I was referring to the data that you're talking about, I was thinking much more about the ways in which, as a state, we are collecting and collating significant data sets, not simply from what we're doing in remote operations, but also what we're doing in machine learning applications, which will also have, you know, the unleashing machine learning has significant potential for the redesign of jobs. It will uh, really have an impact on whether or not people are tethered or untethered in the future of work in terms of working practices, and it will transform many workers. So I'm thinking about data, not just in terms of what's collected through some of our geographical strengths, location matters, of course, but actually also around the ways in which the um, corporates, the universities, the not-for-profits and government might work together in this state and across the nation in order to be able to really apply that data in unique ways and in different ways that other people could translate into their own environments. So when I talk about data, I'm talking about large data sets coming into the state. Square kilometre array is, array is a, a really good example of that. Um, but not just simply using that and applying it to space and technology, but thinking about the impact that that could have on oceans and then how the impact of that data that we're collecting in oceans has an impact on sustainable communities, remote communities and then thinking about the future of those in terms of work, for example. So this is a, a much more, um, it's bigger than the sum of the parts is what I would say. And I would argue that as a state, we've taken a lot of advantage of those independent strengths 
geographically, if we really take a helicopter view, then we might think about the gig worker completely differently. Paul, you've made a living talking about data and, and being able to interpret data in a meaningful way. What are the opportunities you believe that WA has when you consider that, that huge amount of data that, that Dawn's referred to and what it could mean for us? I, I totally agree with Dawn. We, we, there's there's individual pockets of the state, whether they be a company or initiative within, a, within the government or whether it's from academia that are, are, are tackling this, but we're not doing it. We, we, there are the opportunity in front of us is to do it in a holistic way. And I think we, we, there is an enormous amount of data being collected. There's an enormous amount of data that is sometimes collected but not available. And I think it's, it's, it's up to everyone across all um, parts of the society to ensure that we've got data collected but also data available. And I think WA needs to reflect on what it is and what makes it different. And we are one of the most regionally dominated uh, parts of the globe. We've got, um, you know, WA is 33% of the Australian continent. We, if we were measured in a country size, we'd be in the top 10 in terms of country size. We've got 2.5 million people, of which 2.1 live in Perth. So that's 400,000 and the rest. I had um, a friend who, a German friend here who lives in Singapore. I managed to convince him to come down here for a, a holiday to WA as his first holiday in this region. Blown away. Had no idea of the, the amount of art. And he thought going to Margaret River was a big j journey. And I just said to him, well, you're lucky I didn't suggest you go north. So we've got some unique challenges. And, and I, I think we should point all our innovation in, in that direction. Now, for a mining company, they, they can do that in a very, very controlled way on their site. In a farm, they can do it in a very controlled way for their farm. Uh, I think it's going to take a little bit more leadership to do it for the state because um, the two challenges we have, being so big, um, we need a lot of eyes and ears on the ground in the regions to collect that information and make it available. The second challenge we've got is when we detect something, whether it's an incident or whatever, it's, it's, a long way, it's a long way to travel to get to something. So we actually, more than anyone, need the predictive part of what we're doing, of, of the benefits that you get from data more than any, any place. So I really do think that whole regional aspect of um, how we, do, we collect that data and derive analytics, that's what the WA should focus on. That's where we're going to get a lot of benefit from. Can I say, I really, I think that's... Um a really neat segue into thinking about the triangulation of government, um, the education sector more broadly, and working with industry. Because within that triangulation, what you're able to bring together, of course, is data that's used meaningfully mm. in the service of improving people's lives. And, of course, it also lends itself to making really good policy decisions, which then lends itself to thinking about the allocation of resources so whilst all of this might sound like it's really quite abstract in terms of talking about data, there's a significant proportion of the population that are really quite divorced from these sorts of conversations mm. and think that they're being left out and marginalised. But at the same time, they are what we really need to talk about in the narrative around this is the impact that it has on people's lives.
We've talked about large sets of data being available to us, and I'm sure that consolidating this data is no mean feat. Uh, Paul, how do we interpret that data, and what role does location intelligence have to play in this? Well, I think... uh the old saying, a picture tells a thousand words. Well, I think a map tells a million words. <laughs> but I think maps are just a very, very neat way of uh, gleaning intelligence from, from raw data because they just have some facets about them that are amazing. And if I bring it back to the WA context, um, I've seen so many examples where, for example, in the, in the, in the, the native title space and native uh, heritage um, issues, um, you know, gleaning through documents, you know, um, which are a little bit confusing where language is an issue anyway, as soon as you introduce a map to the conversation, it becomes very, very easy. So it's, very uni- it's a very universal language, um, but they're just so so easy to interpret. It. And um, by just putting data on a map with your with the, with the human brain, you're, you're able to do your own analytics. You can see patterns and glean intelligence from it very, very easily. The other thing about maps is if you think about it, um, and I only learned this a, a, a year or two ago, I've been working in this business for 30 years, they're actually quite memorable. If you think about looking at a map, you you do remember it. If, if, and if you're, if, for example, if you go to a, a new city or something like that and you're trying to work, work out where, where to go and you look at the map and even if you leave it behind, if you're confronted with a with a situation, you know, um, where you can't go that direction, you actually in your mind, you actually remember the map and you remember the direction. So they're a, they're a great um, way to plot a path, but they're also a great tool in that they allow you to um, change direction and change strategy um, very, very, very quickly uh, if you're confronted with a barrier. So I just think maps are a great way of distilling enormous amounts of data which which Dawn referred to into something that's very it can be crystallized into something simple that you can act upon. And um, what are some of the ways that spatial technology can shape the future of the state? There's there's, there's a few challenges we have in in, in the state at the moment. I think um, uh, we're trying to grow things like the agricultural sector. Um, at the same time we're challenged with climate change which is reducing the um, the, the amount of rainfall that will be available over the next 50 years. So um, I think if the agri- something like the agricultural sector is something that we want to want to be a significant industry, and it's, and it's a huge, huge um, contributor to not just regional economies, r- regional societies, the, the lifeblood of having regional communities, um, we're going to have to start using data in, in a way to assist them to be a bit smarter about how they go about things and not, not tell them what to do but provide them with the data so that they can make better better decisions and be a little bit more precise how they manage their, their farms. So there's many, many examples of how I think we can use data and, and location intelligence to, to basically run our state better. Um, there's a tantric saying that is as above, so below. And, um, and I think... I'd just like to draw on what Paul was saying, which is that when you look you know, above in terms of what we can achieve from spatial technology, there's also a mirror into the oceans and onto the ground in terms of the remote working, remote, remote operations, precision medicine taking place in remote communities, a whole lot of agendas that actually can be delivered on the ground as a result of spatial technology that I don't think we've really conceived of yet. 
there there is quite a lot going on in terms of what what we're linking both through the gliders and radars that are collecting data in our oceans at the moment through the university's oceans institute and linking that to the work that's happening through the square kilometre array and doing quite a lot of mapping and one area where that's related to what you were saying paul is in climate change of course because yeah. we're looking at not just what's happening in terms of the warming patterns but we're looking at the impact on fish stocks so it has an impact on thinking about food sustainability in that way um, and, and i think there's more to be done in that agriculture is one area but certainly there's more to be done in terms of thinking about health yeah yeah i, I totally agree and, and climate change is a great example we um we were lucky enough to be involved in a project where we were helping uh, some Pacific Island nations uh, basically come up with uh, adaptation plans for how they're going to deal with climate change moving forward. And uh, by simply putting climate change uh, predictions on a map and allowing them to play with the data and see where it's going to be by 2100, mm. um, it, it stimulated action. It, it, it stimulated care because they could see that um, things were going to change, and and for those society, it's not just about losing roads and those. It's actually it's, it's their food. It's where they grow their 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 food, uh, and we then went and adapt that to Australia, and it's more about property and, and all that side of things. But all of a sudden, people started paying notice, taking notice. Now we've got eighty years, so we're, we're clever humans. We'll we'll adapt, but um, at least people take sit up, take notice because they understand it really quickly, and they go, hey. My house is going to be underwater in 30 years' time. What are, we, what are our politicians doing about this? What are we doing about it as a society? What can I do about that? You know, what can I, how, what can I change in my lifestyle to you know, stop climate change um, happening so quickly? So I think it's fantastic. We're living in an incredibly dynamic time and I'm sure that um, as the workforce is becoming increasingly technologically driven, I believe you said um, at the event that I saw you at, Dawn. I'm, I'm sure this is something you think about quite a lot. Um, what's your view about how the way these technological innovations in WA will translate to jobs, and how do you prepare for that with regards to your future students? So it's a great question because really what we're talking about here is the interface between technological literacy, data literacy, and human literacy. And if you think about that, I, you know, as you heard already, I do like the term triangulation. If you think about how those things work together, universities have a critical part to play, as does education more broadly. So it starts very early and goes all the way through beyond university into the workplace when we start to think about how we bring together skills of understanding and applying technology, understanding and interpreting data, and thinking about that in the context which is actually about serving humanity. And those three things might seem at odds, but they can actually work together. And so for us, it's about the development of skills that are not simply around the STEM skills and looking at ways in which we might prepare students and graduates of the future to, to have skills of coding, data interpreters, data scientists, data analysts. We're expecting that we're going to see the development of, a, uh, and we're seeing this already, of, of uh, the need for socially responsible leaders, something that perhaps we've taken for granted in the past because it's been part of education, it's been part of, um, it's been throughout our curriculum. But I think now we really do have to make sure we get the balance right so that we start to talk about 
moral and ethical reasoning, thinking about the way in which we apply data and use technology in a way that is about um, communication that's effective, that is using emotional intelligence to understand the meaning of it for us in our lives, that's looking at critical thinking and how we apply it. And um, universities do have a role to play in that, but of course it has an impact on employment practices. And I think we have to start to work much more closely uh, so that the, the boundaries between employment walls, if you like, and um, graduates and students and indeed the way work places where you learn will change. We can expect that through machine learning that learning will be taking place constantly in all sorts of environments. And it won't necessarily be through formal study. And some of that's happened in the past, some of it's happening already, but I think we can see an acceleration of that taking place. So that, that's partly where we see our role in this. We also see an important role in terms of supporting, as a civic institution with responsibilities in terms of our social enterprise, um, in terms of supporting the change and the transformation that needs to take place in society. One example would be this. Uh, in the workplace, we'll have so many different generations working simultaneously, many of whom will find themselves having differing views in the way in which technology might inform their lives, and certainly the way it informs communication. We see ourselves as having a role in terms of supporting not only the transformation, but how we enable and facilitate the understanding of and respect for other in a way that actually lifts people's ambition, understanding and expectations of how we work together as communities. It certainly challenges the notion of future communities. Absolutely. Um, I'm challenged with it at the moment in my own household with 13-year-old daughters who are uh, uh, challenging the boundaries of how they um, use technology. <laughs> but even in our workplace, um, we, we have 60-year-olds uh, through to 22-year-olds, and uh, you know it's, it's quite interesting how they use 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 technology. And um, it's not just uh, I think in the regions one of the huge opportunities for us is uh, one of the biggest with with automation and and, and and those sort of things in mining and agriculture. One of the biggest um, communities that we impacted are our indigenous communities because that's where a lot of those jobs are. Yet there's a huge opportunity there if you can um, create a bridge for the younger generation and even some education for the older generation to um, sort of marry traditional versus the emerging world and make sure they're not left behind and potentially accelerate the um, you know the, the bridge that's being built between the two, and that's where that social license you're talking you were talking about the one where uh, mining companies and those sort of who are working in the pill and working in the chemicals they can play a, a role because they're all out there and they're all getting digital themselves, remote operations. It wouldn't take much for them to say, "Hey, let's just extend that very thick fibre that we've got out to a few of these remote communities." All of a sudden now, we've, and we educate them, and all of a sudden now we've connected those communities. They, they were once a long way separate, now we've connected them. Um, and we're, we're, we're at NGIS, we're particularly passionate about that. I think it's a huge opportunity for, uh, for WA to, to lead the way 
in that. I think you've been talking about what my definition of a smart city would be, really, which is it's not all about the technology and having all the digital footprint and the connectedness from, you know, having the right wires in the right place. It's actually around using all of the skills, the talents and the diversity in the community to really think, work and act smartly. And I think that's a different conceptualization. It's a really important conceptualization because I liked your, I I like the fact that you're talking about maps. Um, But you know, as a as a psych, I would always say this because it's sort of founding fathers. The map is not the territory. So the map's great, but the map is not the territory. And when you get into the territory, sometimes you realise the map actually hasn't given you all of the touch, smell, feel all the experience of what the territory is like. And there are so many people in this state and in the regions who have that at their fingertips. Well, thank you both very much for joining the podcast today to discuss all of this. If you have any questions about location intelligence and how it can be applied to businesses and organisations, for example, we've included a link on our website to read some of our success stories working with maps and location intelligence. And if you're thinking about starting a career in science, technology, engineering, or anything that we've touched upon here today, please do head to the UWA website for more information. For more Location Matters episodes, head on over to the NGIS website or subscribe to future episodes via Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Stitcher. Welcome to Location Matters, the podcast from NGIS covering the world of mapping and location technology.